All right, everyone, welcome back into another fantasy golf video. Going to be getting into the top picks and plays for the U.S. Open. Touch on everything that you need to know for this week as well. Course preview, which stats we're going to be looking at, who has the best recent form, who are the top plays in each price point tier, giving you guys some potential outright bets, and then give you guys a first look build. Let's get into it. All right, so taking a peek at last week's recap, last week I ended up on pretty much my worst main build possible. Not pretty much, it was the worst main build I could have ended up on possible given the player pool that I had out there. The player pool was strong. Obviously, Mark Hubbard was right there. Uh, looking back at like the winning data, in retrospect, Aaron Baddeley was a good play that just didn't work out. He had two triple bogeys on his back nine on round two. That's going to happen. But for the most part, that was a week in which I did expect to see more kind of random results. And we kind of had that as actually a little bit more predictable than I would have thought. Uh, I do want to call it that last week was another easy showdown week. Guys, this is kind of a crazy thing that like literally if you just at the end of whichever round it is, if you go ahead and use the nine to five lineup optimizer, set the unique players to three and then set your player exposure to 35 or whatever you want. I've been doing 35% max exposure exposure to them. And throughout the each week, you would be cashing, profiting through that. Last week, I was able to take down a showdown GPP. And what was super strange, and this is a weird thing, like last week, I gave out a lot of awesome showdown content on Twitter. Because for me personally, it's just tough to give out content when it's just like, here are the best plays. You know, like that's what my tools are designed to do. It's just, here are the top plays. And I got one like, and it was strange, like Nick Taylor, and this was crazy, guys. We had the low round golfer four straight times that was ranked top seven or better. Nick Taylor was one, came in pretty low owned, given the fact that he was the top ranked uh, golfer for that round. Eric Cole, top six in round four, came in at sub 10%, came in 20th most owned. It was crazy. Terrell Hatton, now, yes, I was prioritizing the PM wave there, or sorry, the AM wave. He was in the PM wave. So I personally wasn't on him because I like to go in on the AM only. But for the showdown slate, he was the top five play, had the round of the day. So just kind of crazy stuff there. Had a near outright winner in Mark Hubbard. Unfortunately, he just did not make enough birdies on Sunday. But obviously, awesome tournament by Nick Taylor, which great win for him there. The winning GPP lineup, and I, I just want to touch on this. The last two weeks, the winning GPP lineup has been phenomenal in terms of ranking out well. A trend last year that I was extremely shocked by was that these winning GPP lineups, they weren't really all that good. There was more randomness to it, uh, especially with the fifth and sixth golfer into builds. Now, thus far, especially the last two weeks... And this is a trend that has kind of been leaning towards this is that, all right, finally, these good lineups are actually starting to win. Like the last two weeks, the worst player in the winning lineup was like top 45 in the nine to five model. That was the worst rank. Last week, the average model rank of those players in the winning GPP lineup was 21st. The previous week, it was 17%, or sorry, an average of 17. It's been phenomenal. And I do want to talk about the Nick Taylor outright winner trend as well, because this season, it's been a, it's been a strange season in the sense that last year, basically all the top-notch players were winning, like... It was just, okay, we just need to be loading up on these great players. And so I noticed a trend this season that there were a lot of what I call shoulder shrug plays winning. These golfers that, you know, you're not going out of your way to play DFS-wise, but they're not bad plays either. Just kind of where their price is, their price correctly. So sure, if you end up on them, you're fine with it. You're shrugging your shoulders and all right, I'll, I'll take that. That's been the trend. So what I want to do, and I did this last Wednesday night, is my, all right, so let's see if the winning data 
has shifted at all this season and it did some slight stuff has adjusted and so i kind of went and i made this formula to go ahead and curate some data for outright winners and i posted this on twitter i'll put it up here on the screen but it's an interesting trend that we have going there so obviously it was a good week with that last week i'm going to continue to do that i think going forward that's going to be something i update in the nine to five data if you guys want access to the nine to five membership it's ten dollars a month like if you guys are playing fantasy golf i would assume you'd be able to afford that because it's literally main slate it's going to benefit you. But not only that, showdown slate, you get the ownership leverage tool, which is vastly underused. And I think that's the biggest takeaway is that, man, there's such an edge here because people are just not taking advantage of these awesome tools out there and the people that are benefiting from it. So if you guys want to make sure to be checking that stuff out. Now let's go ahead and get into this week. I know that was a lot of fluff to start off with, but I do feel like that is some important stuff. And it is stuff that I, I like to touch on. Like I, I do all this deep dive data. And it's just, I like to make these videos fast and quick, but at the same time, like kind of what's the point of me spending a majority of my mornings on Monday going through all this data points if I'm not spinning out to you guys. So I'm going to try to do that more frequently. All right. So getting into the course preview for the US Open, it is going to be played at Los Angeles Country Club. And this is going to be the first time that we have seen this course played on the PGA Tour. And so we don't really have any data to go off of. And I want to kind of second that by saying this is going to be such a unique course. We're not going to have that many good comparable courses. And what I mean by a comparable course, comp course, is courses that we would use for course history when we don't have any course history to go off of. We could look at event history, which I'm going to for course history a little bit, but also I'm going to be looking at some comparable courses. The last time that we saw a new course introduced, I believe was at a major that we hadn't seen in any like capacity was Aaron Hill. And in a way, I kind of feel like that is the second best comp course that we have. I would say Oakmont is the best one that we have, but both of those are kind of a little bit too far removed to use as any sort of thing for course history. Now I am going to be looking at Aaron Hills a little bit and the Genesis Invitational because the course designer is the same one there as it is here, but I'm just using that stuff to pull in what the key stat date is going to be for the week. So in that sense, it's going to be difficult. But if we just look at the course for this week, it, it's it's so unique, guys. It is very refreshing. Fantasy golf gets very repetitive. And really the last two weeks with there being new courses and whatnot, it was actually like fun, like breaking it down, having to do deep dives on it. It gets, it gets repetitive. It gets lather, rinse, repeat, you know, and the last two weeks has been refreshing. So looking at this, it's a par 70. It's going to be a kind of longer track, especially for it being a par 70 course. But the interesting part about this week is is that will it play long? That's my question because they have wide fairways for one. Two is that they're going to be extremely fast fairways. I guess this is kind of a good example of it. Like if your ball hits the fairway, it's going to roll a ton. And what also is interesting is that yes, the rough around the greens is going to be super thick. Okay. Like four, four inches probably, but on the fairway, it's just going to run out a lot. Like it's not too catchy. So I do think we are going to be looking at like total driving being a big stat because yes, you need to hit it long. There's going to be a significant advantage, I think, to those golfers that hit it long and they kind of will get rewarded if they put it around the green, like if they're trying to drive the green on some of these courses or on these holes, because it's not like they're going to fall off vastly. They're going to catch in that rough. Thus, they're going to be closer to the hole. It's kind of interesting in that regard. The greens we know are going to play firm and fast. The greens are about normal size as well. Now, I want to call this out as well because like statistically, there aren't that many bunkers on the course. 
Like it's normal, but I would say it's the size of these bunkers and it's the green side bunkers that kind of make it feel like there are a ton of bunkers on the, on the course. Like this right here, you could cut up into like three different bunkers. Okay. And there is also going to be no water has on this course. So the defense is going to be this thick rough and then the bunkers that surround the green. And then really it's going to be where they put the pin placements on these firm, fast greens because the ball can really run off. And so to me, what I want to be looking at are going to be these stats in which one strokes gain around the green. I think that's going to be very crucial this week, but it's going to be looking at bogey avoidance and like birdie to bogey ratio as well. I call that effective birdie to bogey ratio because those are going to be the golfers that play smart that don't really put themselves into trouble too much. So I'll get into the key stat data a little bit more here. Let's go ahead and look at the course history and I'll describe kind of what I'm looking at this week. So looking at course history this week, the four main things we're going to be looking at are going to be the U.S. Open 2022, the U.S. Open 2021, so the last two U.S. Opens. And then I'm going to be looking at the PGA Championship from last year. I'm also going to be looking at the Masters as well. I am pulling in some secondary course history as well, which is going to act as comp course history. Those courses are going to be Aaron Hills from 2017, and I don't like doing that because that is you know too long in the past to really be significant data. At the same time, was the U.S. Open? Uh, I do think it could be valuable to look at. We're going to be looking at the Genesis Invitational. Once again, not the perfect comp course, but kind of good enough in that sense. And then also, I do think Southern Southern Hills is going to be a good one there as well. Uh, Oakmont is a little bit too far in the past to really look at for me at all. So when we're looking at course history, it's going to be slightly adjusted. Okay. But what we are seeing is that Sanders Shoffley is just a stud for course history. He has played well in majors, finishing top 18 at the PGA championship and also top 10 at the masters has played well at the past two us opens. And for kind of looking for narratives as well, he is a California boy as well. So maybe this is finally the week in which Xander Shoffley gets it done. He has been clutch in the sense that he has gone himself behind the eight ball a lot in the first round and was able to bounce back and make a cut. And he has the longest active cut streak on the PGA Tour. So someone interesting in that regard. We got Kyle Morikawa. He has been pretty bad this year in terms of elite golfers, but he has played well at the past two majors. Played well as well at the past two U.S. Opens. He also has California ties as well. So two very interesting names there. Then we got John Rahm, who's obviously just played extremely well um, in similar situations. <laughs> Chris Kirk popping up there. Did not imagine that. We got Rory. Rory's a very interesting click. Then Scotty. We got Brooks. No surprises there. Denny McCarthy popping up, which is a little bit shocking. All right. Uh, Patrick Reed as well. So we do have a decent amount of players popping up in there for course history that, you know, kind of are shocking, but also at the same time, not too shocking. So very interesting in that regard. Let's go ahead and take a peek at those good stat fits. So looking at it, the key stats that we're going to be looking at, balls Striking toll driving, effective birdie to bogey ratio. Once again, that's going to be birdie to bogey ratio and bogey avoidance as one data point. Greens gained. Okay. Also looking at that 95 only stat, the effective scoring. Look at that every single week. That just measures a player's ability to both make the cut and also upside. And then stroke skin total. Always look at that. Stroke skin around the green is also going to be something that we're looking at. All right. So then let's just go ahead and look at who are the best staff fits in the field. So we got Sky Scheffler, John Rum, one and two. That shouldn't shock anyone. Then we have Bryson DeChambeau. And that does kind of shock me. But with these live golfers, the data points that we're pulling in are a lot of them are from last season or from the majors thus far. So it's not exactly current data. And then we have Patrick Cantley, Xander, Hatton, no shocks there. Tony Finau, Justin Rose, Wyndham Clark, Kyle Morikawa. We continue on 
got Ricky, Day, Hovland, like a bunch of golfers where it's just not too much of a surprise. The thing that you'll see here is that, and this is basically every major, golfers that are good staff fits, good recent form, and have played well at the tournament are going to be the ones that are going to win. It's the same every single week. It's just a bigger emphasis at the majors. We have seen that the past U.S. Opens. Okay, I just want to make that clear. Uh, the U.S. Opens have actually been basically the easiest tournament in fantasy golf. Last year, I was able to nail Matt Fitzpatrick as an outright winner. Two years ago, I was on John Rahm and Louis Oosthuizen. Louis Oosthuizen was a free square in DFS. Bryson, I was just being stubborn on. He, he ranked out well, and I just I didn't want a piece of him. Everyone was on him. Uh, four years ago, Gary Woodland, 80 to one winner, and he was a top 10 play that week. For some reason, people just weren't on him. You look at another good player that week, Chaz Reavy, also a top 10 player that week. It's just one of those tournaments that when you dive down into it, and I'm not saying that this is going to happen again this week, but it has been one of the more predictable tournaments each and every year. So now let's go ahead and look at those golfers that are in the best recent form. Sky Scheffler, no shot there. Xander, no shot there with his huge made cut streak that he has been on. Cantley as well, following that trend. Then we got Hatton, Rom, Rose, Perez popping up in there. I don't really know why. Uh, shocking, to be honest. Uh, then we got Victor Hovland, Adam Scott, Ricky Fowler, Hideki, Matt Fitzpatrick, who he was struggling for a while, so it's interesting to see him starting to pop up in there. We got Cam Smith, Clark, Henley, and so that's the theme, guys, is that there are a lot of great golfers coming in with a lot of great form. The theme last week was what? That we just didn't have any good enough plays because, well, the, the form was spotty. Well, this week, it's it's much easier to predict in that sense. So with the specialist data, what we are looking at is going to be the unique characteristics for that week's tournament and putting it all into one data point. Now, you could argue we could use this as our course history as well, and I'd be perfectly fine with that, okay? Because obviously, we don't have course history. We have event history, but I do think it is crucial to look at those kind of bigger events that I'm looking at with the course history. This is just another way to kind of go about looking at that. A lot of people like to look at comp course history every single week. That's what this is doing just in a better fashion. So if we just sort by the specialist ranking here, we'll see who are the top specialists. And so I just want to call out, I do not change this day at all. So when a golfer like these golfers and Ryan Fox pulling in there, that's crazy. This is going to be coming from some of the DP tour starts. Okay. So I'm not going to adjust that. That happens with the model. So I'll tell you with a grain of salt, like these players just are not going to have a lot of data points being pulled in there. So what I like to do is I like to see like based off a of location, let's see if there's anything we can go in on there. All right. California track, which golfers are the best on California courses? Very interesting data point to look at. We can look at longer tracks. Which golfers are the best on longer tracks? Interesting data point there. Another interesting data point would be we don't have that much trouble at all on this course. Who are the top golfers that produce with no water hazards? So an interesting data point is that we don't have a lot of rough but where we do have rough, it's thick. Looking at which golfers are the best there in that regard. We can look at fairway width. It's a big old fairways today or this week. We can look at that as well. So all interesting data points. Now let's go ahead and get into who are the top plays for this week. So looking at it, guys, Scotty Scheffler. If you look at his average mile rank, it's going to be eight, which is almost half of the next players. Uh, John Rahm's like 10. And then we got Patrick Hanley and Xander Schauffele are going to be an average mile rank of 15th. So there's kind of a big gap between Scotty Scheffler and Rom compared to the next two options. So they are going to be kind of the clear cut plays. If we just look at Scotty Scheffler on the nine to five player profile, you guys will see what I mean. Like he is just an elite play. Looking at the data points, there is literally no metric that we look at that would suggest he's going to have a bad day or a bad tournament. He should be able to go off and play extremely well. 
Okay, he's the highest priced player for a reason because he should be. And there are going to be plenty of ways of which we can go out of our way to pay up for these studs if we choose to do so because there is a bunch of soft pricing. There are a lot of elite plays in the 7K range. And so if you guys want to pay up for John Rom, if you want to pay up for Scotty, by all means you can. John Rom has obviously played really well thus far this season. Really, his worst data point is going to be that PGA Championship where he finished 50th. Now, it really comes down to a bad opening round where he shot 76. Other than that, you know, pretty solid results. Bounce back at the Memorial Tournament with a 16th place finish. The thing with John Rahm is if we look at him, that's kind of been his his season where he just kind of has these random kind of drop-off weeks. And I guess we can see why the data might not be favoring him as much as Scotty Scheffler, but he is the next best option. Top five in recent form rank, second best staff fit, eighth best specialist, second best in the nine to five mile, just a really strong play. A lot of people are going to argue Brooks Kepka is going to be a great play and I'm not going to argue with them as well. I would say I think I'd rather play Cantley or Xander this week. By all means, if you want to play Brooks Kepka though, you can. Okay, this should be a great fit for him. You look at Aaron Hills, which was his first major win. Like I said, I think that's a good comp course. Played well at the U.S. Open two years ago. Last year, a lot of these live golfers that kind of knew that they were going, they sucked at the U.S. Open. I, I read into that as them being mentally checked out of the PGA Tour, you know, kind of half-hearted playing golf. It'll be very interesting to see how some of these golfers respond. With news of that merger, Brooks Kepka has already kind of basically said, you know, if I wasn't injured, I probably would have left the I never would have left the PGA Tour. Now, he might have been trying to save face there, or he might have actually believed it. And so with that, I don't know if we have to worry about him mentally in that regard. But we look at Patrick Cantley, okay, coming in as the fourth best pick in the nine to five mile this week. Really, there's nothing wrong with Patrick Cantley as a play. Okay, ninth best specialist, eleventh for course history, once again, comp course history, finishing 14th at the US Open last year, 15th two years ago, ninth at the BGA Championship, and 14th at the Masters. If we can lock in a top 15 finish, by all means, we would take that. The biggest worry that we have with Patrick Hanley is going to be that finish at the Memorial Tournament, where he finished 30th. It's really the worst data point that we have coming in for him. The issue was his final round. That's it. Had a terrible final round. Besides that, really strong golf. I think he's a player that we can trust. Top four pick in the 9 5 model. Victor Hovland is definitely an interesting play. Definitely. He has been playing some elite golf lately. Kind of. I mean, the last three starts have been elite. Tear about the Wells Fargo. Tear about the RBC Heritage. And he also hasn't played well at the past two U.S. Opens. I feel like he is going to be chalked because, like, logically, if I didn't look at the data, and he's still... A sixth best play this week. If I didn't look at the data, I would have thought he'd be like the third best. And I think a lot of people are just going to go with that because they saw him play well at the Masters. They saw him be in contention at the PGA Championship, maybe get a little bit unlucky there. Um, and they might be ready to click him. There might be a little bit of TV bias, if you will, there. Viewership bias where you know they saw him a lot, so they're going to click on him a little bit more than they should. But really, I think a great starting point with lineups, and it's kind of weird. Um, I have actually been starting my lineups in the 7K range, and I've been ending up on Xander Shoffley to close out my builds, which I feel very good about. He is a player that I do think we could start out our builds with because he's such a strong play. The only worry that we have with Xander Shoffley, and I mentioned this at the Memorial Tournament, is the guy is due for a random miscut. It's going to happen soon. The Memorial Tournament, it kind of seemed like it might happen. Opening round 77. And what was frustrating about round one is I don't I don't know if his caddy is giving him the correct numbers all the time. There are so many times this season that I've seen Xander hit the exact shot he wanted to and it just go a little bit long. Like he literally had, I think, two doubles 
in that opening round because it seemed like he had the wrong number. Now, I do agree that caddies and players are teams and whatnot. Just strange in that regard. The encouraging thing is that he is hitting the shots. Very rarely has he not hit the shot he wanted to. So as long as they... As long as they have a good game plan going into this week, he should be an elite play. So I do think he's a good starting point or an ending point, depending on how you guys choose to make your lineups. Now, I do think someone like Kyle Morikawa does make some good sense, but he has been a little bit hit or miss. He also had to withdraw from the Memorial Tournament. I think that was out of abundance of precaution because he wanted to play well at the US Open. It kind of seems like an I would say the results kind of show that he's kind of going Brooks Kepka mode on us where he just wants to turn up for these uh, major field events, the elevated field events, the big money events and whatnot, because he played well at the PGA Championship, played well at the Masters, played well at elevated field events for the most part. So I don't mind him. Obviously, he has those California ties. Obviously, has played well at the past two U.S. Opens as well. And then to close out this range, we got two very interesting clicks with Matt Fitzpatrick and also Cam Smith. Let's start with Matt Fitzpatrick. So Fitzpatrick, obviously the defending champ. Okay. Besides that 55th, 77 and 10th for the course history and comp course history that we're looking at this week. Staff fit wise, only 27th in the field. Specialist wise, only 20th. And then recent form wise, top 12. So the form has been better recently at the PGA championship, just had a bad opening round. He is someone that I kind of think we can trust his game has just been a little bit too hit or miss that's the biggest worry it's been a little bit too hit and miss if he can eliminate the one bad round i do like him but he's more someone that's on the outside of my player pool looking in if i end up on him i'm happy with it definitely a shoulder shrug play this week and then from there we have cam smith who really kind of spotty i mean playing well and live played well at the pga championship struggled at the masters and he did kind of mention that when i signed with live i kind of had a mental break from golf right like the competitive juices for him just weren't flowing like they were when he was on the pga tour but he has played well and live lately okay and so we might be gaining an extreme discount with cam smith now he has struggled at the past two u.s opens so it wouldn't be shocking to see him struggle but recent form wise is still top 15 and so ranks out as a top 10 play. So I kind of view him more as a shoulder shrug play right now as well, but he is looking like an elite play as well. So from there, let's go ahead and get into the mid-tier. So the mid-tier might be a range in which I struggle to end up on overly just because we have so many good, strong 7K plays. But to me, Terrell Haddon is exactly the same play as Matt Fitzpatrick was heading into the US Open last year. We're not the best like U.S. Open history, finishing 56 and miscut, played well at the PGA Championship, played good enough at the Masters, and has been in tremendous recent form. Stat fit-wise, top 10 in stat fit. Specialist-wise, top 20. Recent form-wise, top 5. And so overall, he ranks out 5th in the 9-5 to five mile this week, which basically the exact same play as Matt Fitzpatrick last year, okay? Same odds, 30-1. to one. And so the stars could align for Hatton to go out and have a, a strong week. And if you look at him, we know he's a former DP tour stud, played well there. Kind of, I would imagine those guys kind of have an edge on tracks like this. And I would argue Cam Smith does as well, just given the fact that they kind of are familiar with these types of courses, more lengthy style course where the ball's going to run out more. Hatton should be a good play this week. And that price point is so intriguing. I do want to call it that you know, he has seemingly played a decent amount of events over the past two months. Maybe that, I'm not going to say that's going to wear on him this week, but maybe he's probably going to take off a couple of weeks, it seems like. And then from there, like we keep getting Hideki at 
strange price discounts. Okay, last year at the US Open finished fourth, the year before that 26th, at the PGA Championship 29th, at the Masters 16th. Okay, he has made seven straight cuts. He's in the 12th best recent form, 30th best specialist, top 20 in that comp course history, stat fit wise top 30. Like sure, he is not an elite play, but he is such a strong play across the board. If you look at how Nick Taylor was able to win last week, where he's just a good play across the board in every like data point, maybe not elite at all, but there's really no big worries, I guess. That is Hideki this week. And we keep getting him at such a cheap price point. He's essentially been a free square, a free top 20 play lately. And I know he struggled for a little bit there, but been such a safe play for the past three months now that we've seen him. So I really do like this price point. I, I think he he should be a safe play. Obviously turns up in the majors, should be a good, good enough track for him. 8.6 is so cheap. And then from there, guys, we get a lot of just, yes, these guys could play well. JT, could he play well? Yes. Tony Fina with his length off the tee, he should be able to play well. Uh, I, you know, Jordan is a high tier play with his ability to kind of make unique shots. He could play well. Sam Burton's not playing well enough. DJ not playing well enough recently. Jason Day, you know, definitely been struggling recently. Okay. The last two events just got off to terrible starts to his rounds. Cameron Young. Oh, guys, what was the fancy golf community doing last week? I don't get how Cameron Young was chalk last week. That was super weird. Like, there hasn't been too many head scratchers. That was one to me. I I really think people misclicked Cameron Young thinking it was Carson Young. I'm not even trolling there. It is strange. Like, he just hasn't been a good golfer for a while now. And so this price point is just kind of a stay away. Like, this is one of those situations where if he plays well, cool, great, we can... Maybe use that in a future week. We just don't need to force in plays like this more times than not. So let's go ahead and move down into that low tier because it is loaded. So looking at the low tier this week, loaded, like I said, just is crazy. So I do want to mention that Mark Hubbard put out a tweet saying, this is the most hungover I've been on a Monday heading into a tournament ever. And so there was this plane that took a bunch of the players that stayed around to watch Nick Taylor win. They took them to the U.S. Open course. I want to know which players were on that freaking plane because my assumption is that they were all kind of partying, all having a good time. Corey Connors probably on that plane then. Tommy Fleetwood on that plane. I would assume all the Canadians that are in the field were on that plane. Adam Hadwin, Mackenzie Hughes, Nick Taylor. They're all going to be stayaways. Anyone that was on that plane to me is just don't play them, okay? The older you get, the more that uh, being hungover it turns into maybe not being a half a day thing. It turns into a full day thing or a two day thing. They're probably not getting in the reps that they should be in, the quality reps that they should be getting in today and tomorrow. So they might be stayaways from me. And so part of my worry with that that is Justin Rose is such an elite play. I really hope he didn't partake in that. And I don't think he would be in a veteran player and whatnot because he is, I mentioned Louis Oosthuizen from two years ago as Jewish Open, how he was just a free square, very easy to see. Um, you know, these plays like this, we tend to just roster. And if they w don't work out, oh, well, we, we know it's the right decision. And we know we're going to get rewarded in the long term with those decisions. That's Justin Rose this week. I mean, just across the board, uh, an elite play. Top 10 staff at across the board. His worst data point that we're looking at is going to be 36th in the field. And that's going to be in toll driving. So really strong in ball striking, toll driving. That effective birdie to bogey ratio, 20th in the field. Really strong there. If you look at Green's gain, 12th in the field. So elite there, his last three starts on the PGA Tour, 8th, 12th, 9th, 25th, 16th, 36th, 6th. The difference between him and Louis Oosthuizen, I would say, is uh, Rose, not a certified choker like Oosti. So if he does get any contention to win, I think we can roll with that. And if you just look at the odds for golfers to win around him as well, 
I'll pull this up on, on the slide for you guys. Like Neiman, 80th, Rose, 40th, Bryson, 45th, or sorry, 45 to one, uh, Keegan over 101. Like there is a very big difference there. We are seeing that that's an elite value. And yes, Rose struggled two years ago at the US Open, but really played well. PGA Championship, top 10, Masters, top 20, just across the board has been playing extremely well. Like really the worst data point that we're looking at is going to be eight and nine starts ago where he just had two random missed cuts. He should be a great play. He's going to make for a great outright bet as well. And he's a good example of why I'm struggling to get to those players in that mid-tier range. I do want to talk about Bryson as well, because he is someone that I, I do think he kind of mentally checked out for a little bit when he went to live he is someone that needs motivation is what it seems like to me like the whole bulking up thing it seems like he just needed to do do that to be invested in golf he needs stuff to be mentally invested in and so if you look at bryson like he is very interesting because specialist wise it would suggest that he's a terrible play this week staff fit wise pretty strong so there there is a little bit of a separation there so it's really just how's he going to play the course he gets frustrated with himself in these major events too a lot i do expect him to play well i do expect him to be able to bomb and gouge and this seems like such a cheap price this feels like game burst kepka at the masters where it's kind of obvious and you might be kicking yourself for not doing it but there is some risk associated with it. Now, in retrospect with Brooks, there wasn't, but you guys get what I'm saying. Like the form's there. At the same time, based off of the data that we have, he might not be elite elite, but man, he looks good. So from there, we get we get some more interesting plays. Let's start with Ricky. There was some weird stuff that I saw on social media like last week suggesting that Ricky might be dealing with some sort of slight injury, but Ricky should be able to go out and play well. I already mentioned that, yes, this course is great now is longer, but given the fact that the fairways are wide uh, and they're going to be firm and fast, I'm not too worried about that as long as they are hitting the fairways. Now, uh, looking at Ricky, doesn't rank out too well in the field. Total driving ball striking 43rd and 30th. But if we look at that effective uh, birdie to bogey ratio, 13th in the field and greens gained 14th in the field. So he's going to set himself up for opportunities. Obviously been playing extremely well. Missed the cut the PGA Championship. I believe that was a missed cut in the number. I believe he just missed a putt on the last hole to just miss the cut. Like he didn't play poorly. Just wasn't good enough that, that day. Looking like another great play this week. Top 25 specialist. So comp course history. This is interesting. Looking at that course history rank. Struggled at the PGA Championship finished 77th. But if we pull in some of the other data from those other events, still ranking out top 30 in the field. And obviously that's going to be partially due to playing well at that Genesis tournament. Top 12 staff at top 10 in recent form rank, like really just a strong play this week. It's going to be tough not to click him as long as he is not banged up in any sort of way. I don't think he is. I didn't read too much into that report that I saw. And then we look at Wyndham Clark, kind of deep breath. What do we do with Wyndham Clark? He also struggled at the PGA Championship, although he was a great play. It just seems like he had one bad round, the opening round, 77, right? We can see that there. That happens to golfers. They're just going to have bad rounds. You just hope that they're not the first round or the second round. You hope that they make the cut, especially at this price point. Looking at Wyndham Clark, that was also coming in off of a victory. So we do see that a lot, especially with golfers like Wyndham Clark, where coming off of a victory, kind of a career shifting event, they're just not as mentally sharp there. It makes sense. Your body's going through that big adrenaline rush one week, and then it's tough for your body to get kind of back to that point, being mentally sharp and whatnot. Makes sense why he was lackluster in round one. Follow that up at a tough track, the Memorial Tournament, with a 12th place finish. I think we are seeing a new Wyndham Clark. He's touched about how he's more mentally sharp now, um, going through just little stuff that makes him more mentally ready, geared up to play for those big moments. So when we look at like common course history, course history, not good. 85th in the field, but specialist-wise 30th, top 10 staff fit, and top 15 in recent form rank. He is safe, but also not safe, given his track record on events like this, on these bigger caliber field events. But it 
does seem to me like he has kind of turned a new leaf. He's going to be ready to go. So 7.5 is a great price day for him. A guy that does well at total driving ball striking, a guy that's not going to make many bogeys, a guy that hits greens, does drive the ball long when he needs to. He's a player that I really like, especially at that price tag. Did we play him in a cash build? I don't, I don't know. That's the tough part. Because to me, we look at someone like Adam Scott. I don't, I don't get the price tag of Adam Scott. I just, I don't. It's weird. This should essentially be a free square. He's coming in as a top 15 playing the nine to five mile, top 10 in recent form rank. One of the best active make cut streaks on the PGA Tour besides Xander Schauffele. US Open history, 14th, 35th the last two years. PGA Championship, 29th. Masters, you know, top 40, not elite there. The problem with Adam Scott is that he only ranks out top 50 stat fit wise. That is not good, but he is a top 15 specialist. So given the price tag, I'm willing to overlook that a little bit and like just just good <laughs> like he's just had a great season i don't i don't get the price tag and he's currently like 80 to 1 odds too all right why is that that seems a little bit weird to me as well so look at this guys i have made a pretty awesome build this week and i have a thousand three hundred left over that's kind of the theme this week is that we're gonna have a lot of salary left over to make some good build okay so this is why victor perez is pulling in pretty good there based off the small sample sizes played well at the valspar uh played well at the pga championship uh and played well at some of those other events earlier on the season so it kind of makes sense small sample size why he's being pulled in sibu kim was also someone that interestingly enough was being pulled in as a very strong play this week when we look at it, i think it comes down to the fourth place finish at the memorial uh and you know just some strong upside finishes recently i don't this one of those plays where I'll, I'll definitely be on him i won't go crazy with it it's, it's like if he has a great week i won't be shocked i'm kind of okay with missing out on it somewhat then we look at denny mccarthy denny mccarthy very interesting click this week very interesting click 29th at the pga championship had a seventh place finish at the u.s open last year um pretty strong recent form as all well. we're seeing a bunch of strong upside finishes 16 out of 20 made cuts thus far this season he's coming in as a top 22 play in the 95 mile not the best staff fit uh definitely makes or struggles off the tee Total driving wise, just not good there. 142nd in the field. I think that is a very crucial data point that we need to be looking at. But then again, doesn't make that many mistakes, is able to putt extremely well. So is someone that I think we can be looking at. Then we look at another pretty cheap discounted live golf player, Mito Piera. He's been playing well. Uh, just has played well on the live tour has played well at these major events as well. It seems like we're getting a very cheap price tag on someone we shouldn't be getting this cheap price tag on Russell Hundley. I see as a, a good GPP only play. I'd be fine with him. If you guys want to roll with him, Ryan Fox as well, 12 out of 15 made cuts thus far this season, you know, just playing some good golf, had a withdrawal from the RBC heritage. Really besides that one miscut, the Valero Texas open other than that, been playing some strong golf. Uh, it's coming in as a top 20 play. Actually, if you guys want to roll with him, you can. So from there, let's go ahead and get into the value tier. So, I already mentioned Adam Hadwin. Like he, he would be someone I'd be looking at if it weren't for <laughs> the whole uh, Nick Taylor win. I, it's just I don't I don't know if I'm reading into that too much, but definitely worries me a little bit. So Jordan L. Smith is is an interesting click as well. Um, you know, just barely missed the cut at the PGA Championship, 77th place finish there. Typically plays well in the DP Tour. Is coming in off of a sixth place finish. Someone you could look at. Carson Young, I don't mind. Patrick Rogers has been playing better golf as of recent. You know, since the Valero Texas Open there. One missed cut. Played well at the past two U.S. Opens, 31st, 31st. Uh, top 30 finish at the PGA Championship as well. So a good enough play at this lower price point tier. 
No, not the best at fit, but not terrible. Surprisingly enough, an interesting name was Andrew Putnam. Andrew Putnam was popping up as a good value play. Finished 31st at the U.S. Open last year. Uh, had a withdraw at the Wells Fargo Championship. PGA Championship, another miscut. 77th place finish. And then has went 29th and 5th. We look at the key stat data. He is someone that's not making that many mistakes. He's hitting greens and not making many mistakes. Now, not the best hole driving. That's going to be the worry with him. But a good enough ball striker where should be able to make up for it. Top 30 in the field for ball striking. Top 5 in the field for Brody to bogey ratio and bogey avoidance, that effective birdie to bogey ratio. Uh, so I do expect him to make the cut or at least be giving us this, sorry, this, this, you know, a strong chance at a make cut. So here's kind of just an interesting DP tour play at 6.6. He's had a good season there. Uh, it just wouldn't be shocking to see some of those DP tour players go out and play well on courses that they're kind of similar to playing. There's kind of an edge there to me. So yeah, the data kind of loves Sam Stevens as a, as a play. I don't particularly love him in all honesty, but if you guys want to roll with him, you can. Cheap price tag, right? Another really strong DP tour world you know world tour player, like a good price point. Like he could easily make the cut. That's the theme this week is that we have a good amount of low price players that we can be on. Now, Sam Bennett is one that I do want to call it because we have seen him be able to rise to the occasion. Made the cut the Memorial Tournament, top 20 at the RBC Canadian Open, and top 20 at the Masters. He is someone that does seem ready for the PGA Tour. Now, this is extremely small sample size, but he's ready to go. Like This is a good price point for him. We have seen him be able to produce on similar tracks. Finished top 50 at the US Open last year. If you're looking for a good value play that makes some logical sense, he'd be one of those. Then looking at Dylan Wu, quietly been having a pretty good season. So prior to last week, had two bad events in a row. You know, AT&T Byron Nelson, 73rd or 73 in the final or second round. Not good. Still shot minus three. Charles Schwab challenge. Want more out of that from him. That, that was bad. But then he bounced back and had a good good week. Key stat-wise, one of the best ball strikers in the field. Pretty good toll driving as well. Actually, key stat-wise, top 20 in the field. Crazy. Finished 31st at the US Open two years ago. Very interesting click. I would say this wouldn't be shocking to see him make the cut. At 6.4, if you're loading up on maybe two studs, maybe you're going John Rahm and Scott Scheffler or Sky Scheffler, Patrick Cantlay, could roll a Dylan Wu. Then I would say after that, it does get more difficult. So let's go ahead and give you guys the first look build. Uh, we can kind of see what I'm looking at right now i've had this up a lot now do i want to roll with wyndham clark i don't know if i want to that might be kind of where i go ahead and upgrade and then i just might default to a decky like i'm fine with that the difficult part is we have so many good plays and i'm not too worried about people duping this lineup i've been giving out first look builds this, this whole season and not many people have been duping them so fingers crossed it doesn't happen again should be a good lineup now let's go and look at the core plays so yeah to me justin rose is just kind of the easy click you know top eight playing the nine to five model top 10 in recent form right top 10 staff fit uh struggled at the us open two years ago but we all know justin rose was just not playing well back then either that's really the the biggest worry or starts from eight and nine starts go. And really, guys, when you look at the data after seven starts, it kind of all meshes together in terms of relevance for like recent form data. So if we were to just cross these two off, the worst data point that we would then be looking at would be that start the US Open two years ago. It's an elite play, elite price point, probably going to be chalk, but that's chalk we should eat. And then from there, Adam Scott, clearly a, another very cheap price point play, uh, someone that should be higher priced than they are. Now, the worry with him is that he's just not the best staff fit. Sure, nothing too alarming ranking out you know in the top third and all kind of the key stats that we're looking at at the same time you'd want it to be better right but that's why he's priced this low also i don't know how much of a chance he has to win maybe but we look at the last few starts he has had multiple top 10 finishes so adam scott's a play that definitely makes a lot of sense then like i mentioned like terrell Haddon is coming in basically as the exact same play as matt fitzpatrick last year where you know, been in contention a lot 
hasn't exactly been able to come through, but the recent form is definitely there. Top five play, staff it wise, is exactly there as well, where we'd want it. Uh, really nothing too alarming in this game, except for the fact that he hasn't exactly played well at the past two U.S. Opens. Now, we do know that this is going to be a different track, and we do know that he's a top 15 specialist. So overall, it's really, it makes a ton of sense. I think he's going to go out and produce uh, this week. The worry, was he on that freaking plane with Nick Taylor? I need to know. And then I do think Xander Shoffley, just kind of given his price point, 9.6. I get why he's priced here. Okay. You look, you talk about like winning upside. Maybe he doesn't have that as much so as some of the other guys. And that's why he's here just because he hasn't proven that. Uh, but this would be kind of the perfect storm for him to go out and win an event. Obviously has those California ties. We'd love to see that uh, just across the board going to be an elite play. The only worry I guess would be um, spraying the golf ball a little bit too much, but not making many bogeys, hitting greens. If he has a good day driving, that that's we talk about like strokes game putting being the difference maker for a lot of players, which is true. But sometimes it's another data point that's been struggling. And if you guys golf, you know exactly what I mean. There are plenty of days, and right now for me, it's driving the golf ball. If I were to just hit the golf ball in the fairway, 80% of the time, I would be having some low rounds. I haven't had that happen just yet. If Xander Schauffele does that, he's going to have a great round and great tournament. So great price point for him. But that's going to be it for this US Open video. It was a jam-packed video. Hopefully you guys enjoyed the coverage. Just a reminder, like and subscribe to the channel. Uh, going to be coming out with a lot more content this week. Let's have a good slate. Let's have a good US Open. Hopefully it continues to be easy. We'll see. Fingers crossed. All right. If you guys want to join 9to5Nation, become a member. It is $10 a month. Best value in fantasy golf. I've mentioned this so much. It's crazy to me. The amount of people aren't taking advantage of these elite tools. It's kind of laughable. Um, $10 a month. And there's plenty of... I won't get into that. But let's have a good slate. And as always, let's keep cashing.